Up until this point, I have specifically not provided COVID updates, mostly because I like to think the lessons I try to create aren't impacted by pandemics, but also because, well, recording updates is time-consuming. But this circumstance is a little unique. Shortly after the pandemic was declared in March 2020, due to the obvious travel restrictions and some other complicating factors, Unleashed Surf went on hiatus. But I'll tell you why I think the episode is still completely relevant. First of all, as Amy describes in the recording, success isn't binary. Temporarily closing up shop due to a pandemic or an indefinite pause after a few years of operation may have been unexpected or undesired, but it doesn't need to spoil the whole experience. But more importantly, the stories of setting up a business are always relevant. Those initial hurdles that were overcome and the challenges that were met will always be valid. On top of all this, Amy is just an excellent human being. She was so easygoing and comfortable to interview that day, I'd personally be doing everyone a disservice by not showcasing her opinions. Okay, COVID update complete. Please enjoy the episode as originally programmed. For some time now, I've been grappling with this notion of balance in my work life. How much enjoyment and fulfillment is a reasonable amount to expect from a career? I mean, in any job, there's going to be trade-offs, be it security for flexibility, compensation for variety, or predictability for creativity. I don't think anyone can have it all, at least not all of the time. So considering this imagined chasm that I've created between job and fulfillment, of all of the ways to bridge this gap, I'll tell you a method I did not consider, and that's just doing both things. For example, if at least by many people's standards, you have a secure, more than sufficient role with the government, but you're not getting to scratch that entrepreneurial itch, well, just scratch that itch. Start that business, provide the service, do whatever it is you need to do to be content at the end of the day, even if it's stressful and time-consuming, even if it is in Peru, or even if you just had a baby. I mean, so far, it's working for Amy Schwartz. Amy is the manager of green infrastructure in the Department of Energy and Mines, and has been working with the Nova Scotian government for over 10 years. But regardless of how much she's enjoying being a government employee, and she does enjoy the role, there are some boxes that the job just doesn't tick. So she's closed the gap and started a business revolving around two of her passions, travel and surfing. So if you've ever thought that surfing and government don't belong in the same sentence, or if you've ever wondered what's involved in operating a business over 6,000 kilometers away from your home address, then keep listening. Because this is Mike Syme with How to Be Pragmatic and Passionate. With me today, I have Amy Schwartz, a woman who has appeared to have struck a pretty unique balance in her professional life. She has a great job with government, but also runs a company in Peru. I have no idea how these lives are balanced. So, Amy, can you tell me, to start, what exactly is Unleash? Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So it's basically how we describe it in short form is it's a, a surf retreat for digital nomads or a surf retreat for people who want to work remotely. Um, so we, yeah, so why these two things and what people think of it being so different? 
Do your colleagues in government find this other life of yours interesting? Yeah, in my work world in government, um, there's certain people who are really open and interested about it and others who just don't know what to make of it, so kind of avoid it. And then on the other hand, in my like entrepreneurship life, I feel like I have people that don't really want to know that I also kind of work for government. And to be honest, I didn't like to admit to it for a while because you know, when we started Unleash, I was on an extended leave and now I'm kind of trying to juggle both and we'll see how long we actually do that for. The truth is starting a new business for most of the world is really challenging and requires financially a lot of resources. And that's what my government job helped me to do or helps me to do is finance starting a business. Um, so to me, it's kind of like, well, duh, if I can make both of these worlds work, why wouldn't I? Um, but for a lot of other people, it's kind of hard to wrap their brain around it. And it is seems like two opposing, almost like personalities or career personalities. I wouldn't imagine that Venn diagram to be a big overlap. <laughs> so what types of skills do you use in both aspects? Well, that's an interesting question. So I, I guess I'll start with a little bit of a story. So my maybe one of my first, um, what do you call them, like um, evaluation, performance evaluation, that's the word I'm looking for. Probably my first performance evaluation in government, there was a critique, which I thought was a compliment, which was she's very entrepreneurial or too entrepreneurial. Did you say too? Like... Yeah, I can't remember, but it was more of a critique than it was a compliment. <laughs> and I didn't really know how to take it because it's like, oh, that's cool that they think I'm entrepreneurial. But Maybe what they're actually saying is I'm too entrepreneurial for my role in government. So, so yeah, where do the skills overlap is um, in some ways it's about finding a place where those kinds of skills are useful and appreciated than in, in jobs that seem to be more stereotypically bureaucratic. And I feel like in, in various stages of my life, I've been the odd duck out, but then I can almost always find other odd ducks. But the truth of it is, like the structure and the system of government makes it um, so that you really have to be able and comfortable to be creative within those structures. And so a lot of people just get so frustrated by them, which I do lots of the time, that they kind of give up on trying to be creative in and around them. Um, because sometimes you'll work on something for ages that once it gets to the political level, it just gets shut down. And so you've put all this time and energy into it. And then it goes nowhere. And, and But then other times that's kind of an opportunity to be like, okay, well, how do I rejig this for the next go? And, and then in your other life, you have no stifling. Like you're stifled the way you uh, I've read on your website. You're stifled by internet connections and yeah. the quality of surf. Yeah, that's true. Which yeah. is uh, very different from bureaucratic procedures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so how do you, how do you, when you're starting this thing, how do you, uh, how do I find a location? Like, where do you begin? Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great question. Like, what are our parameters? And interestingly enough, there are some pretty tight ones because what we want to guarantee and what we do guarantee is a great internet and good surf and surf that's accessible to a variety of levels. So finding those two conditions in the same place is actually really challenging. So that helped us to kind of limit our scope of where we could be. 
Um, but also, in addition to that, a few of the things we don't kind of talk about as much is that walkability is really important right. because adults need to be independent. And if you all go to a resort somewhere where you have to drive to everything, people who make kind of random schedules for their work, um, it just, that doesn't work. Right. And it's, you spend a lot of money on taxis sometimes. and Exactly. And some people won't feel safe going on their own. So it's just like when you have a community that feels safe, that's walkable. Um, that also becomes a key component. And then a place where there's, you know, good restaurants and it's not too overrun with tourists, but there's just enough of the comforts that people feel pretty relaxed, um, but also get this really unique cultural experience they wouldn't get anywhere else. And so those are the things we love, and that's what we wanted to provide. So really that box is actually quite small of where we can go. So, I mean, it's not like the type of thing where it's you type into Google, where are places that have good internet and beginner to intermediate surf reliably. So, I mean, I I imagine you had a uh, base of knowledge from your own travel and maybe secondhand stories you've heard of places to research. But did you personally try this style of work, uh, this remote work, before you started Unleashed? Um, I had uh, spent a year in Peru doing a master's uh, program. And then my partner and I took a short sabbatical um, from when I was working in government. And he's a web designer. So we just decided let's go for four months and see what it's like to try to, for him to try to work remotely. And it worked really well, even on pretty like not great internet at the time. And we went to the same town um, where we've now started Unleash. And, uh, and it just worked. So we thought, you know, like, we could set this up for other people. Yeah. And we also, um, yeah, so, we, so every, that town kind of had everything that we wanted. So when you say everything that you wanted, like what kind of things are those? We would want a tight group of people who are kind of like-minded and it would have to be revolved around surf. And um, we'd have to have all the comforts that we like to have when we travel, which is like our own bathroom and living room and kitchen with things we can cook with, um, which a lot of these other companies weren't offering. It felt like they were catering to people at the beginning of their career, which is great. But we were like, well, there's this whole other part of the market of when people actually kind of get more comfortable financially and are ready and starting to think about like, okay, my job's good, but I work really hard and I don't seem to be able to find the time to enjoy myself or like do my bucket list or whatever. (laughs) And so that's where we come in is kind of like also most of these people don't have time um, to plan surf trips. It takes a lot to plan a surf trip. Well, I I find just like the, the whole idea of, well, we like this and we can't find this. Yeah. So therefore, there mu- I mean, there must be other people who can't find us either. <laughs> Maybe we should do it. And it, like that, I think that's a really old kind of strategy yeah. uh, for like a lot of successful, you know, uh, ideas. Yeah. But it's so simple. Yeah, it is. It's also like kind of poor market research. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we were going on a whim. We just saw these companies were really successful. But their product, yeah, like you said, didn't meet our needs. So, I, yeah, I imagine lots of entrepreneurs start that way. And probably lots of terrible ideas start. <laughs> I feel like I've had a million other ideas yeah. that were like, no, just because I want that doesn't. Uh. <laughs> but this one felt different. So who comes to Peru to surf with you guys? What, what are your customers like? Is there an average kind of fit? The people who come are always just really amazing interesting people but we definitely have like a a very specific audience and they're so cool 
I mean, I have a few theories, but part of it is, you know, they're at a stage where they're um, starting to feel some success in their career or lots of success, or they're in an interesting transition and they're owning up to the need to do that transition. So we get really interesting people from all over the place. And uh, I, I think probably one of the reasons is, I think uh, I think I read on your website that a lot of these people like aren't surfers. No, yeah. And so to be the type of person who says, you know what, I am going to fly halfway across the world or all the way across the world. I mean, I'm biased, but I think they're pretty interesting people who can take that leap. So if some of your customers you mentioned are experiencing some success, why does that necessarily mean these are the same people who are looking to go on a surf retreat? You know, really successful entrepreneurs who kind of like know exactly what they're doing. They don't necessarily need to be creative in their job anymore, or they haven't had the inspiration to be just by being in an environment that's completely different. And we don't even have to have any intentional programming or, or like workshops. They say like, wow, just putting myself in a different place with new people has completely kind of transformed my ability to be creative. And hopefully we'll get to a point where companies see the value of that and will actually send their employees to, to you know, they notice how, what a difference it makes. And that, I, like there's, there's research about that, but when you, when you hear people kind of say that that's what happened to them while they were there, uh, that to me is like a really exciting, rewarding part. Um, one of our favorite clients is a journalist, and she was with the migrant caravan that was, you know, coming from El Salvador through Guatemala all the way to Mexico. And like, you know, as you can imagine, her um, work, like she was published in Time Magazine and National Geographic, like it is very, very intense. And she just like needed to recharge and be physical. Yeah. So seeing how it can, you know, benefit different people with different careers and given that opportunity to like take a break and recharge or just see things differently is uh is yeah it was was a huge part of our intention i would mm -hmm. say so uh, one of the things i think like the more we talk about this the more different you said there's similarities but it still sounds like there's more differences <laughs> in your two lines of work like do you ever have pressure or uh, be it from people or from yourself uh to stop or do less of one or the other? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that it was when I had my extent, like I took a maternity leave, I took an extra year from that after that maternity leave. And so I had like, other than raising a new child, <laughs> which is like a full time job. Um, I had all of my time, you know, work time allocated to Unleash. And that was a great feeling. Like that feeling of just being able to do Unleash is an awesome feeling. Yeah. Um, and coming back to work at government, it does, it's true. It does. I need to be almost like two different people and I'm not good at being half-assed at anything I do. So like kind of being half-assed at government just doesn't work either. Like I actually really enjoy my job. I mean, on the other hand, I have discovered recently that, um, maybe it's not recent, maybe I've always known this, that if I'm not being productive in one aspect of my life, it's hard to be productive in the other. I'm one of these people where I think I do better if I am a little bit overcommitted and too busy. <laughs> Are you worried that working both of these roles might be not sustainable? Right now, it, so I think, yeah, right now it feels right. And I think partially because I had, like I'd started my career nonprofit and then I went to government and, um, and then I realized, like, I shouldn't say I realized, but I was curious about the world of business. Like, am I not, 
and can I do that? Am I capable of doing that? Um, and I had no interest in being like, how do I make a billion dollars or kind of a thing? But it was like, huh, I wonder what it's like to do that world and to like build something on your own and build it to be successful. Like, can I do that? And I'm, what is there to learn in that process is kind of what's always driven me in my career. And I feel like um, I just, I needed to satisfy this curiosity of what's it like to try to start a business. So, but your, uh, what was your university degree in? Um, International relations and with a minor in economics, which I was terrible at. (laughs) So, I mean, I guess I'm stretching to say like maybe the international development area makes it easier to uh, go to Peru and start a company. Yeah, I mean, not. I mean, it's not actually, crazy. To, yeah, it's not. It's not that much of a stretch. Um, I. Th- but to be honest, like, like you could have done any degree and be. Yeah, yeah, I could have done any degree and would have been led there. I think I ended up in international relations because of having traveled a lot as a child. I assumed that's what I should be doing, but I think like being comfortable, having the comfort to start a business was more about like having traveled, really. And my summer jobs were always outdoor education related. And I never thought that would turn into anything resembling a career ever. It was just like, this is fun to do in the summer. Um, And then lo and behold, like I learned a lot, I think, about how um, like adventure businesses are run in the process. But um, so, yeah, it was never intentional. That was very accidental and it had nothing to do with what I'd studied other than I, you know, did a master's in Peru and that was actually in disaster management. So like natural disaster. Yeah. Okay. So like, what do you do after uh, to prepare communities for disasters? Um, and then how do you deal with the aftermath? Um, so that was why I did a master's in Peru. So nothing yeah, led me directly to this path and ending up in uh, government was, you know, to be honest, the last thing I wanted to or I imagined for my career. And that happened by I shouldn't say by accident. Like I was when I was working a nonprofit, I used to write a lot of grant proposals to um, the government, a government department. And then a job came up there and they said, hey, you might be interested in this. I had been at that um, nonprofit job for longer than anything I'd ever done. It was four years, and I had felt like I'd done everything I could do there. And I was like, oh, well, I was going to go be a surf bum for a year, but maybe I'll just see how government functions. You got this uh, spark or desire to start a business, and of all the businesses, you, I'm surfing, presumably, is a passion of yours. Yes, yeah. <laughs> And so you started the business doing that, which must have kind of felt amazing. But how did you, like, I guess, why were you, why did you think it was a good idea to start a surfing business? Yeah, I think there's just something about, and I I mean, it's very personal for me. I love being in the water, but for me, it's like, I like it enables me to be in the water all the time, which is what I love the most about even in the winter here, like I can be in the water. Um, and something about that, um, being able to like reconnect with nature without sounding too cliche, but it's true at the same time as, um, like be very physical and in your body and do something extremely challenging. So that, that's one of the other things that I would say really excites me about surfing for everyone or for anybody who wants to try it is like, no matter how good you are at anything, skateboarding, snowboarding, no matter how close it is to surfing, wakeboarding even, 
Um, nothing will floor you and humble you the way that surfing does. And I feel like I get humbled every single time, no matter what the waves are like. And I think that's really helpful. You know, ego management, um, knowing how to solve problems, knowing how to get back up and dust yourself off. Well, I've talked about it before, but I think having something like that, and this sounds super floofy, but I think it totally cleans out your mind. Yeah. Because you're like in whatever your moment, whether it's running or climbing or surfing, mm-hmm. like when you're doing it, you are you don't have any, it doesn't matter how stressful your day yeah. was, none of it is on your mind. Yeah, you have to be, there is no way you can't be present. And I think that's what's so awesome about surfing for, like sounds cheesy, but for entrepreneurs or people who deal with a lot of stress is like, you can't not be present. That is a really interesting part of, of surfing for, yeah, for people who have like different levels of stress is that whole like learning to be present is really hard if you're trying to learn to meditate or learn to, you know, do almost any other activity that's supposed to center you. But some of us really need to be forced to being present. And I think it really helps with creating the container to like, okay, I'm here <laughs> and I'm paying attention. When I did... Um this kind of initial Google search, like diving into all these questions, like there was a lot of stuff that came up for Amy Schwartz Unleashed. Oh, that's good. <laughs> like, like I was, I was quite frankly quite surprised, not because there was results, but like, do I have to go to a second page here too to like get all of it? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, but there was like Chronicle Herald, Globe and Mail. Yeah. And I thought to myself, well, like if I Googled this thing, I might think this is a smash hit. Yeah, yeah. So like, is it a smash is hit a in, smash your mind, yeah. in your eyes? Um, that's a great question. So, um, people are always, I'll be really honest, very impressed by Forbes. Like, oh, Forbes Forbes was in Business Insider, I think I saw. Yeah, Inc. Um, and yeah, so people are very impressed by those. So for me, I would say it appears like a smash success. The reality of a lot of those articles is that gives us the street cred, the credibility that we're not just some rinky dinky outfitter, that we have a credibility. Um, and that has been the main, I would say, benefit of a lot of those articles. People are always very impressed, but they don't always pull in new applicants. So if Forbes was to have shared, so hot tip, if if Forbes um, was to have shared it, not just in, they do like one Twitter post, but if they'd really like shared it, like they do with some other headline articles, then it would have been game changing for us for sure but that's pretty rare that that happens but otherwise they're just like a lot of other online publications like they're just pumping stuff out um but uh the globe and mail is a different story like that gets seen by a lot of canadians and someone's you know auntie or uncle will say hey you you know so and so surfs i'm going to show them this article um so that like you know our goal is still like you know the new york if we got in the new york times like maybe we wouldn't be able to accommodate everybody but that would be a nice problem to have maybe yeah a lot of it is is not the smashing success it appears it's just helpful for building credibility but back to like are we a smashing success i would say um in some respects absolutely like we we are what we're trying to do with unleash is definitely an accelerated success schedule. Most um, entrepreneurs I talk to who I respect say, you know, it takes five years. It's more about your staying power, not the like, not whether it's good, a great business idea or not. If it's a solid business idea, it's, it's about getting to year five. And if you haven't, if something major hasn't happened by year five, then yeah, maybe it's not 
worthy to keep pursuing. But what's the biggest challenge for people is like financing. Staying afloat. Yeah. Yeah. And then. No pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> and so, so yeah. So it depends how you define smashing success. In terms of what I, maybe I was defining it too low, but like in terms of learning how to do something and be effective at it and like make a business be successful and enjoying it, it was like, okay, like we did I don't want to say we did it, but you know we're getting close to feeling like okay we did okay at this. Yeah. So even if we decide not to go for five years or ten years or whatever, I think I still have this feeling of like yeah like we made it past some of those first tough posts. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll see. <laughs> I'd imagine when you were starting this out, like there must have been some curveballs that were thrown your way. Were you ever just caught off guard by something? I used to blog and write blog posts. One of my marketing strategies was like, anyone who says yes, I will write them a blog post, guest post, as long as we can link to Unleash. And I would say like, yeah, the biggest woman's surf publication um, actually stole some of my content at the beginning and published it as their own. Yeah, and didn't, um, because I'd submitted it to them. And uh, anyway, and that was kind of like an initial experience. I was like, oh, this can happen. Um, So that felt kind of gross. And that's still a sore spot because it's like now I could never go to them and ask them to publish something about us because like ethically I have it and it's but there's only so many of these like massive publications in the world for surfing. So it does feel have they never like, no, they no I I full on like I wouldn't say confronted, but just pointed out like, hey, weird sent you this thing a week and a half later, the exact same thing kind of came out without my name on it, yeah. um, you know, in the spirit of, you know, women's surf culture, let's. Um, let's deal with this. Yeah, just no admission, like no admitting to it. It was a very specific topic too, so it was hard to defend. You know what? It's like I've forgotten about this, but it was very early on too, and so it definitely made me feel like, whoa, this is hard. Like if we can't, if I can't get support from what I would figure would be a really important supporter of us, then uh, this is going to be hard. But other than that, it's been, I would say, a fairly good response but the truth of the matter is we thought the surf community was our audience and it's it's a very it's a i shouldn't say very small part it's a small part of our audience a lot the, i'd say 60 to 70 percent of our audience is people who are new surfers or have done like a surf camp and now want to learn how to get good and people recognize you don't get good at surfing in a one-week surf camp you get good at surfing if you like spend a month doing it which is the other reason why we were like if you can come on unleash, you can actually get good and not quit your job. Well, the uh, w- one of the things I find kind of interesting. So you mentioned with like your target market and the way you advertise and like the concept of the business itself. Like none of that would have worked uh, ten years ago. No, yeah. Or and it certainly wouldn't have worked before that. No, nope. like not a single aspect of what you said. No, <laughs> I, I just feel like you're you're kind of lucky to be here and now and like have this idea here and now the other piece of this is at least in north america and europe like people are trying to figure out how to also have a life around their job and that's really like uh and that makes sense to us like we want to have a life around our job too and i think previous generations um maybe those concepts weren't as real or maybe they were easier to achieve I don't know but it it feels like it's um it's being defined clearly having a lifestyle that is makes all the work worthwhile 
One of the things I also wanted to say is because I have to acknowledge it at some point, you've been saying we a lot. And because this isn't, even though like in a lot of the stuff I found online, it was largely Amy Schwartz's name I was seeing. Yeah. And I'm speaking to you right now, but it's two people. Yep. And so can you tell me about the other person? Yeah. Is it it 50-50? Like what's what's the split? Um, So it's (laughs) 51-50. So I'm 51. Um, But it's funny because initially the intention was this would be like John can already work remotely. This would be my business that I would start and he would like support with the websites and some design and the blog. And uh, the idea of working with a spouse. Yeah. Has that been as challenging or as easy as you might have expected? Yeah, so that's um, that's a great question. I feel like it's not talked about much. Like I think there's quite a few couples who have a business together. But I there was someone who um, co-owned a hostel in, in the town that we're in Peru with her partner. And I remember her kind of saying, like, how do you guys, like, are you okay? Because um, I think to be honest, like her and her partner maybe weren't and cause they'd started a business together. And I'd said, you know, no one's asked me that, but yeah, it's, it's tough, you know? And also we had a new baby. So like every aspect of our life, our hobby, like our favorite hobby, our child, our business, it, it's like, you know, we eat together, everything is together. So that whole idea of like, you know, also having independent identities and like, like it was, it was, it was, um, it was very intense for sure. And it was something I hadn't thought about. It just seemed like um, we work well together in general. So it was kind of like, oh, of course, you know, we'll just do this. And I don't think we ever expected John to be as involved as he is. So yeah, it, there's things about it that um, if somebody was to start a business with their partner, like unless you guys are, you know, you really know how to work with each other and can be super honest and deal with each other, like, and fight with each other about business and still be friends at the end of the day. Like, so it's, I mean, I can't imagine starting something with anybody else, but at the same time, like, oh, I did not think about how, how enmeshed our entire universe would be. But it's interesting, like, when we come home from Peru, like, and I went back to work at government, like, John and I used to spend literally, like, pretty much 24-7 together, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I don't see John during yeah. the day. <laughs> it's you know, weird. Ab- absence makes the heart grow fond. Oh, yes. <laughs> sure. Like, I don't really notice a difference, but it's just that initial adjustment of like, okay, like we're not talking about everything all the time. And it makes for like, you know, when you're both going to bed, we're still like, at least when we're in Peru, we're still talking about business, which is that healthy? Is it unhealthy? I, we didn't have any other time to talk about yeah. it, so... It's maybe one way I've I've noticed one way you can kind of judge that is like when you're sending a text to your partner and uh, you look back and like the last text was, uh, I don't know, six days ago. Yeah. You're like, oh, we're probably spending too much time together. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's a good point. Has there been any point in working with Unleash that something, whether it's a political situation or logistics and you just couldn't do the thing you wanted to do. Mm. So a few different ones. Um, one of them, I think I saw this in your notes, like we originally, our intention was to be kind of modeled after some of the other businesses around that would do, like we thought people needed to go to three different places at least to want to buy an Unleash trip. Mm-hmm. And so initially we were like, we're going to go to the Galapagos to a place in Chile and mm-hmm. then, and all, then Peru. all in a like month? No, in six months. So, so you'd two, buy months, a six two months, two months, two months. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And our very first client bought that. 
Um, so anyway, I remember having this conversation with this, like, um, we were doing these like customer development interviews and this guy in uh, Vancouver, you know, successful business guy. And he was asked, I was asking him some questions and he kind of said to me, like, you sound like stressed about the Galapagos. Like what, how does it feel if you just don't do it? And I said, oh, it feels great because <laughs> it was like the internet there. We were going to have to like get this satellite system and because the internet there is really challenging because we need to guarantee a certain level for our clients. Yes, anyway, it was just like everything about it was going to be complicated and I could feel it. So we ended up, um, yeah, just narrowing it down to that one one place, which was like, thank God. That was um, that was not exactly. Yeah, it's kind of a brick wall of the like okay, this, like, just this instinct of, whoa, this location will not work. Oh my gosh, now we have to pivot. And I remember calling our marketer person and be like, uh, what are we going to do? We've like marketed this. And, um, but you just, you just deal with it. And at the end of the day, it was like the right, it really was the right thing to do. So that was one brick wall. I'd say the other like brick wall has been, it's kind of hard to define, but you know, as many like new businesses would try to do getting grants has been kind of a challenge because we don't neatly fit into a box and as a government person one of my big frustrations with government a lot of government programs is if you don't fit well into a box there's not always a bureaucrat that's going to help you fit into it or defend you even if you're worthy of it in all of the ways but you don't tick all the boxes in the right way. And so we came up against that brick wall, which is interesting for me because I, you know, play both sides of this field. Um, but we, we definitely came up against that like, okay, but are you an export business? Well, yeah, but no. And so just the like, but you don't fit the parameters. It's like, but what, like what interesting startup in the world does? Anyway, so that's been an interesting, you know, brick wall. And I'd say we just kind of are at the point where it's like, it's so much energy sometimes. Here's what we are. Here's the intent. Here's the intent of your program. Let's make this match. Um, that's just, a, that can be more energy than it's worth. Well, I mean, because it's, it's like, again, in this digital age that makes your concept viable, it makes all these other concepts that don't involve um, experience experience so much more scalable yeah and it's like totally well, it's like well someone comes back it's six month thing but can we do it in a day and can you charge them the same amount because yeah. then you really have something it's like well yeah. no you can't do it in a day no exactly no we're intending to be a lifestyle business and we have never pretended to be intending to do anything else and and i like to be very upfront with people about that is like yeah if we can support us and a couple of employees and have the lifestyle we want with our business like that's I mean for my world of Instagram and other surf businesses and other small business like that's not unusual but it is unusual when everybody wants to have a billion dollar startup when do you feel like other aspects of your life are like oh I I don't know maybe you have another hobby that's not you're not as passionate about as surfing but you're like I haven't done that in forever or I'd love to go to the theater and see a movie. Mm -hmm. Like, is there times where you just sit down and you're like, oh my God, I'm a little too busy right now? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't really feel like I'm missing out on anything entirely. I mean, what's most important to me right now is not missing out on my child's, like the windows of time that I get with her um, outside of work. And, you know, at the end of the day, that is like, that's really what I'm trying to 
guard and protect right now more than anything. And that helps, like, helps me put boundaries around both of my jobs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And in some ways, you know, when we're in Peru, it's a much looser schedule and we both get to spend more time with her in some ways than the structure that we have here. We're achieving a level of like being with her that feels good. I think we both like to spend a little bit more time with her, but I don't. I don't think we feel like we're we're failing in that. So, is one of your jobs easier than the other for like being a mom? Oh well, hmm. I mean, on the surface, like my initial reaction is like government, obviously, because you know benefits and uh, clear demarcations of time. Um, but then when I think about it, like when we're in Peru, like having childcare is really like quite affordable, very affordable. And so, and then I, and, and she's usually at home, like we have a, like a babysitter or a nanny there. And so, and then I can just decide like on Wednesday is going to be our day in addition to our weekends. And so, uh, yeah, I don't have to take her out of daycare and take a day off and like, I just like do it. So in a lot of ways, yeah, like Unleash allows me to be more present as a mom. Like long-term, maybe government is, is more conducive to like motherhood, but I don't know. It's tough. I think a lot of, I think a lot of women like get to that place of like when they have a child and they get to this, like, am I, am I what I want to be for my child? And that's when they often you see like new mothers start a business. I think it's not that uncommon. And I think that's why is like, have I, am I, am I that role model or what have you that I want my, my child to see in their mother? And so I find that like interesting. So compared to having a, you know, a one or two year old child, Do you think starting Unleash would have been made more difficult if your child had been older? Actually, yeah. So that's a good question. We met um, when when John and I were thinking about Unleash, we met at this, we were at this very fancy surf resort in Peru to kind of like, well, because it's awesome, but also um, we were just kind of curious as to like the level of service and the type of clients. And we met this um, Israeli couple who were, had like teenagers at that point and they had this business where they take people who like stand up surf like basically their set business and he used to be a professional windsurfer but they also take surfers anyway long story short is they've been doing it for years we're very successful and they and we said to them like so how is it with kids like you have teenagers and they said from zero to five do it like just do it like even if you want to have a kid have your kid do your business at the same time. And it's when they turn around five that you can start to, you need to start to think about school and stuff. Um, and also, I love traveling before. I, before I had a kid, I love traveling so much more with a kid because like it's an automatic friend maker. We have so many more friends, you know, because she's cute and everybody in Peru loves kids or almost anywhere you go, everybody loves kids. But also then you meet other parents. And often when you're traveling, you're meeting other um, parents who are travelers and like you hear about their stories and they're always fascinating people. So like, I would say I'm more likely to make like real lifelong friends than hanging out at home in some ways. And I think one of the other things like comparing it to government as a workplace is um, maternity leave is an incredible important thing, but people get promoted while you're on maternity leave. Yeah. And like, so statistically it's, it's still very, I would say, very male-dominated workforce in terms of who has senior positions, and I think a lot of it has to do with that, is that there is this gap of your prime of your career when you're 
like looking after your child at home for your maternity leave. And meanwhile, people are getting promoted into positions that maybe would have been yours had you been around. So like, I feel like that's real and that's not talked about very much. And that's been interesting coming back is like, oh, well, if I do come back here, I have all this like catching up almost to do. Women, um, I often see this as well. Like if women do get a job where they feel like, you know, they can, they are able to go home a little bit early to pick up their kid from daycare or whatever, then that's a very good place for them to be. So it's like, even if they should be applying for jobs in another department or moving up, it's like, yeah, but I'm enabled to do what I need to do in this job. So why would I change it? Or I don't want to change it because I might not be safe to uh, prioritize my family anymore. And that unknown prevents a lot of mothers, I think, from yeah, even bothering to apply for new jobs. And so that's something that's like one of these like intangibles, tangible intangibles that isn't talked about. But if I honestly had a dollar for every time I heard that um, since I came back to government of like awesome women who should be moving up, who just are like, I don't want to risk it. Yeah, I feel like I'm being very disparaging to government. I think it's a great place to work in a lot of ways. But so anyway, I digress. (laughs) Well, the I mean, the, the truth is, I think you can list not that they're any less valuable, but I think you can list the benefits as a mother for government pretty quickly and in bullet point. Yeah, exactly. In true government fashion. Yeah. Like, as you said, benefits, the structure, like all these things are very valuable. Yeah. But you, you, benefits doesn't need any um, explanation. Yeah. Why that's valuable. That's true. Yeah. So it, it's, yeah, I don't think you're being disparaging. It's just it's uh, one's more quantitative, the other's more qualitative. So with all the takeaways you have from starting this separate business in addition to your job like what is your advice to other people do you think taking this leap is something most people can do I mean I think I always believed in theory that I, I would you know if if anybody ever asked me is should I do something like this I'd be like hell yeah like just do it like why wouldn't you do it here's all the reasons why of course you should do it but then I think you know probably similar to a lot of people if I turn that lens on myself I kind of still felt like I was being kind of cowardly and like not really doing what I said were my goals I I think the other big piece would be like I also now understand what my skill set and value is uh, as like an independent business owner and also as an employee for others Um, and I really know yeah I feel like I really know what my skills are and where my value is so you've referenced your skill set that you've uh, really partially discovered, but it, at the very least honed since starting this. But what you haven't that? mentioned what it is. So can you tell me, like, what are some of these Oh, no, it's skills? all bullshit. There's yeah. nothing there. <laughs> um, so I think what it is is, like, I can manage really crazy things that are have many moving parts and unusual moving parts and come up with super unusual and creative solutions. Um, or really practical solutions, depending on what the scenario needs, and also be really present with people's emotional needs. So like, I think I'm um, a really effective like manager. And I also know what things I don't like doing and what I'm not as good at. And I'm very good at like delegating the pieces I know need to be delegated. Was there any like obvious signs like your parents would be like, oh, yeah, no, makes sense that she's doing this now because of X, Y, and Z when she was growing up? Hmm. 
So I, I mean, I guess the reason I hesitate is like, I've been working since I was like 14 and I literally have always been doing jobs that were technically 10 years older than what I should have been doing um, or what people would have thought I would have been doing. And up until when I went into government, which also, yeah, it does make me question in, in some ways, like why I stayed as long as I did, because I was always doing like essentially like managing jobs and often complex ones from yeah like a really young age I did like I lived in England when I was like in my teens and was like the manager of the activities for this massive language travel program in Oxford like jobs that people never should have given me at such a young age but like and it was just like figure it out and so I've always for years and years, that's what I've done. And also I'd say like a lot of the outdoor education stuff I did in my background was like managing groups and challenging environments. If I were going to Unleash in, in one of your groups, like what else would I be doing besides surfing? Yeah. Yeah. So what we do, so this is like one of the things that is most exciting to us about, um, I think, doing Unleash is like uh, the community development side is... Um, we're really like we are small scale, but it is a small town. And so the impact of like the people who come on the program and going out to lunch and blah, 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 like that's all great, like economically. But for me, what is the most exciting is like kind of the community pride that comes out of how we're able to do some of these experiences, including this one with the the world's like the world's first surfboard. So there's a man in town who is very famous for, well, becoming more and more famous. He's kind of considered the king of this surf craft. So basically what it is, it's a reed boat um, or like it's almost like a stand on top kayak and they build these reed boats and they paddle them out and fish with them and they're the only like on that particular stretch of coast you're not allowed to fish with anything but these and he basically takes us to where they grow the reeds harvest the reeds talks to us about like the future of this industry and then we go and we actually build them with him and he's just he's such a special human but yeah so that that's an example of like some of the experiences we get to literally kind of like put together with our partners that's the part of the business that goes back to my like that there's like a, a purpose here that I really love. So, I, I mean, I have to ask a like ask my cynical questions, but like I think a lot of people might see it's like, oh, this is just another case of rich white people coming into sure, an yeah. impoverished community and like getting experiences mm -hmm. at um, ultimately the locals expense. Yep. And. I do think there are cases of that, but like, why is, why, why are is we your different? answer to that? Yeah. yeah. I think that's, I love that question um, because that's totally true in so many, uh, in, in, in so many ways, in so many places. Well, first, it's not an impoverished community, but definitely, yeah, people have a very different income level than the people who are coming on the trip. Yeah, it's part of this like bigger world of tourism to places, you know, we can afford it because it's much cheaper. But I guess on the flip side is is I feel like having been a, a traveler <laughs> uh, for many years that the way that we're doing it is um, really thoughtful and well done. We we go to extremes to make sure we're sourcing everything locally. So we get T-shirts and hats made and things like that. We all we all that stuff gets done there. Um, our surf instructor is from that like is from there it's part of what's rewarding for us is like we're not just passing through and we're not just 
traveling. We're actually like doing business exchanges that everybody feels good about. And I would say one of the things that we really try to do is work with like women as much as possible. So we hire women drivers wherever we can and women like you name it. We're like looking for the skilled woman because that often is like it's challenging for them you know, more so, much more so than men in, in the town that we're in. And that's been a really, like, I really enjoy that too. Like meeting some of those, those people and, and like showing them their talent or like reinforcing their talents and paying for their talents. Like that's, I like that. (laughs) Amy, can you, can you tell me your theory as to why there's not more surfers in Nova Scotia? Because we have access to these waves it's literally one of the most fun activities that you can do. Why do you think there's not more people surfing? So, I mean, in Nova Scotia, it's you need to kind of be a meteorologist too to like know when it's going to be so good. So it is different here. Yeah, okay. and and that that's part of the attraction I think for a lot of North Americans to go to Peru, even if you're from Nova Scotia, is there's surf every day there, like literally every single day and you don't even have to look at the forecast and then people always laugh at me there because i'm like when i tell them all of the ways i triangulate whether i think there's going to be waves here or not um yeah you kind of have to be an amateur meteorologist to to get good days here um and it's a bit of a drive like compared to anywhere else in canada it's the shortest drive to surf in halifax to live in an urban center and be able to go surfing yeah, I mean, there are more and more people surfing here as well. So, I, I mean, I remember I used to sit in at Lawrencetown Point, and now I'm going to sound old, I used to sit, because I promised my mom I would never surf alone, and I would, on a good surf day, I would sit and wait and wait and wait and wait till somebody got in the water. Like, that would never happen there. Oh, never happen anymore. So, um, yeah, there's, it's, it's just, like, exploded here yeah but thank you uh very much for coming i've got i think i've exhausted all my material (laughs) which is uh i'm happy to say but uh yeah thank you very much this has been wonderful thanks mike i appreciate it awesome questions so have you thought government and surfing were an odd couple how about accounting and breweries we'll be keeping with the same theme of pragmatic passion when i talk to business owner mark heisink On the surface, Mark is your accountant's accountant, but when auditing was losing its appeal, he tapped into his Belgian roots and tapped some kegs in starting one of Nova Scotia's best and most unique breweries, Two Crows. Hear the story next time on How To.